This is a 720 to go podcast from Chicago's WGN Radio 720. This podcast is sponsored by ADM. As one of the world's largest agricultural processors, ADM is uniquely positioned to serve the world's growing needs for abundant food and renewable energy. ADM. When it comes to the business of America's farmland, you need the information from the people who know it best. That's why we bring you AgriCast with Orion Samuelson and Max Armstrong. Raj, be honest with me. Did you ever chug pickle juice? Have you ever done that? Never in my life. Not even my wildest feverish dream. <laughs> You're not a pickle juice chugger, huh? No, I can't say that I am there, Max. Uh, I tweeted that story this week. It was in, I think it was USA Today. I tweeted it because uh, it points out that a lot of athletes... Are uh, are chugging pickle juice. It, it uh, has the electrolytes, I guess, that re- you know replaces the electrolytes after they've had a great workout. And then it also pointed out that uh, it has a probiotic effect. It's good for the gut. They said now, this oh, really? may have been put out by the Vlasic folks or or Mount Olive pickle people. I don't know, but uh, I thought that was kind of an interesting story. I actually have some friends who uh, produce pickles. They they grow the cucumbers that that wind up as pickles, and I. I uh, said this could spike pickle demand. <laughs> that you could go out and just buy a bottle of juice, kind of like Gatorade is marketed for the same reasons. That's right. But this has a little a little extra zing to it. Yeah, you, you could walk around pickled uh, half the time. In every way that, <laughs> I knew you were doing, Roger. You know, <laughs> good talking to you, sir. We'll you catch up with you later. All right, Great buddy. to hear from you. Roger Badish at the WGN Newsroom. Max Armstrong here with you this morning. Big O is fine. He's uh, he's out and about. And uh, I said, you know what? You, you, need to, you need to take a morning off so I can remember how to do this. So I'm pleased to be with you this morning here on the radio, live and direct. Uh, uh, well, I tell you what, since uh, since O is out there, and uh, this this was his birthday week, you know, as, as, you, as you heard, I'm I'm sure uh, the the Samuelson birthday celebration uh, encompasses about three weeks, usually or four weeks. That that's one thing I learned. You see, when I was a kid. Uh, growing up on the farm in Indiana, birthdays were not a big deal. It was always right in the summertime. We're working in the fields. My mom might bake a cake. But then when I got to Chicago and started working at WGN, I realized, you know, birthdays are kind of special. <laughs> the way uh, uh, we celebrated them in our department anyway, and uh, Big O has, has made a science out of that. Anyway, let's let's see what Orion is up to as he checks in this morning at the Saturday Morning Show. Well, Max, the natives in Arizona, the locals in Arizona are beginning to get concerned because the forecast for next Monday and Tuesday is for temperatures to move into the 90s. And uh, the locals say that's way too early for moving into summer warmth here in the Valley of the Sun and in Arizona. So uh, we're beginning to uh, hear some negative comments about warmer temperatures. While I know people over much of the country would certainly welcome some warmer temperatures. Calving season on Arizona ranches, it's been a pretty good calving season. The ranchers here haven't had to put up with the weather of the Midwest and the flooding, of course. And uh, my rancher friend Andy Grossetta at Cottonwood, Arizona, saying that Calving season is about two-thirds finished and that uh, things are going very well. The weather is doing very well and the calves are coming in in pretty good shape and condition. 
Uh, crops, of course, uh, are being planted and harvested all at the same time as they tend to do in the state. I have to tell you, though, about a story that was the topic of conversation of a lot of agricultural people here on the West Coast. came from the American sheep uh, industry, and this is the story. Hoot Paulson arrived at his sheep pasture near Eugene, Oregon on Tuesday morning to find a terrible scene. Dozens of dead and dying sheep lay in the six-acre field with faces torn, skulls crushed, and some missing eyes and ears. And whatever ravaged the flock the night before, Paulson said, left nothing but carnage. He said, he's 35, and he runs H. Paulson Livestock and Feed. He said, there was no feeding by predators. It was just malicious blood sport is what it was. All told, 20 ewes and 24 lambs died, many of which Paulson had to euthanize. He had previously purchased about 30 pregnant ewes as a present for his fiancée, which was supposed to be her start raising livestock as part of the family business. Now, I guess the first thing that you'd think about on a slaughter like this would be wolves. And there certainly are wolves in uh, in Oregon and other West Coast states. But Chris Yee, a district biologist for the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife, said a large domestic dog is likely the culprit based on tracks and the incredibly sloppy method of killing. He said it didn't fit the killing method of a cougar or bear or any other predator that we have in this area. But what a tragic story, because as you and I know, Max, anybody involved with livestock uh, hate to lose livestock, and particularly in this manner. So anyway, uh, continuing to enjoy life at uh, WGN West in Scottsdale, and uh, spent uh, several appointments with the doctors at Mayo this week and got some encouraging news on a lower back pain problem that has been challenging me for the next two, uh, for the last two or three years. So look forward to coming back to the Midwest in time for Harvard Milk Day to kick off June Dairy Month. Max, you have a great week. All right, Big O, thank you much. We look forward to seeing you in a few days, as a matter of fact. Yeah, that, that, those, those packs of dogs, uh, and, uh, you know, sometimes the, the coyote gets, uh, uh, b- blame for something that he or she might not have been responsible for. There was a story, in fact, just this past week. If you're familiar with uh, that area of North Carolina, south of Raleigh, down around Pinehurst, some of you may uh, have golfed down in that area, um, or maybe you served in the military and were at Fort Bragg, right in between those two, which would put it about, I don't know, an hour or so south of Raleigh, North Carolina. They had packs of dogs roaming around down there, and the people said they were scared to death because of those packs of dogs out in the countryside. Uh, there, too, have been killing animals. Coming up on a quarter after five of the WGN Saturday morning show we'll talk about the meat situation and the analyst says it's the kind of situation of the pork market he has not seen it is 30 years in the business that's next the livestock and meat sector the subject this weekend with dennis smith from archer financial services well that uh, hog market situation has been an interesting ride it isn't over yet huh 
Max, we don't think so. It was a real sharp rally, basically, from the recent lows in late February, early March. About a $25 rally and then a pretty hard setback. And now we appear to be heading back up at least to test the highs. And we're quite optimistic that uh, this is a real big story, a real big event. And we think uh, hog prices continue to go higher. The real big story is the disease problem in China. Is that all that is spurring the market? Well, that's the definitely the number one story, uh, most definitely uh they have some real problems in china and now it's spreading into vietnam and they've got some real problems in vietnam and you're talking about a part of the world that has more than half of the world pig population and more than half of the world consumption so this is a real serious situation u.s hog producers hopefully really stand to benefit the chinese have said very little and they're still pretty mom about what's actually going on aren't they Max, they've reported a total of about 118 cases. I just picked up two new cases this morning. A total of 118 cases since August. Vietnam seems to be much more forthright. They first detected the disease in early March. They've already reported 556 cases. In just a little more than a month's time. That's correct. What about our uh, intelligence that our U.S. Department of Agriculture might have in, in watching this scene? Are we getting anything from other channels other than directly from the Chinese or the Vietnamese? Well, let me say it this way. I'm not getting anything. So, so the information, <laughs> And you're watching closely for anything that's given out of That's there. correct. The information is very tight-lipped, I, I think, uh, through all channels. And uh, I get uh, information from my other contacts, my sources, people who have actually been in China, people who have seen how they raise hogs in China, people who told me when this first uh, story broke in August, they came back to me and said, Dennis, it's extremely unlikely they're going to be able to contain this disease. What do you say to someone who poo-poos the possibility of big Chinese pork imports? They, they might say, well, you know, the Chinese, and I've heard this from some people saying, ah, they're not going to need it that badly. They're not going to want it that badly. How do you respond to that? I think you have to understand the Chinese. You have to understand their form of government. You have to understand the way they live. You have to realize that their per capita pork consumption is almost twice that of ours in the U.S. You have to understand that as a their type of government, a communist regime, they uh, number one fear of the government is an uprising due to high food prices basically people starving. There's 1.5 billion people, 1.6 billion people in China. They do not want to see prices skyrocket, especially pork prices. That is the staple. I don't think they will just shun pork and start eating beef and, and poultry. They can't afford beef. Poultry is available, but they prefer to eat pork. So substitution is unlikely. When would they likely come into the world market to buy then? We, we've seen some purchases, right? Small ones? Yeah, we've seen some activity, and I think it, it's probably just getting started and should really uh, accelerate, say, from this moment on or from the moment that the tariffs are, are, are reduced. We still have a tariff, or I should say the Chinese still have a tariff on U.S. pork. As we uh, pound out this trade negotiation, Hopefully, all tariffs will be removed, and that'll really open the door. I think that that'll lower our price of pork going to China by fifty percent, and I think that'll really open the door for for increased, if not very large, exports. Are there any signals from the Chinese from their retail sector? 
that they're just about at a tipping point, where they're really going to need the pork to come in. Well, we know that prices are starting to increase, hog prices and pork prices, but China is such a large country, there's a lot of regional imbalances right now, where some areas have too much pork and other areas don't have hardly any pork, and that's because of the shipping uh, restrictions uh, on the on the pigs and on the pork in order to try, try to contain the disease. So it's extremely difficult to quantify exactly when and exactly how this will unfold. We are not the only pork producers in the world here in the United States, and I saw a comment from a, a processing industry executive in Brazil the other day saying that, yeah, they sure have their eyes on that market. What's the likelihood they could uh, get the lion's share of it? In other words, supply pork ahead of the United States there. I tell you, Max, the numbers are, are so startling large of what we're hearing that the potential losses are in China. Plus, this is going to be a longer-term situation. This is going to cripple their ability to produce pork, not only this year, but next year and probably the year following. The numbers are so large that everybody's going to be involved. No single country can provide the needs that the Chinese are going to require. Well, it begs the question about our ability then to fill the export channel with the needs that the Chinese might have. What are our limitations? One, one could imagine packing capacity might be one, well, even though we brought new plants online. We do have new plants online, but of course, uh, I mean, we're talking about a situation in which we currently export approximately 24% of our production. The numbers I am hearing, I could easily see our exports be boosted to above 30%, maybe 40%. It's, it's reasonable to assume at some point in the future this could stretch our exports to as much as 50% of production. That is, you know, we can only produce so much pork. This is really going to put a strain on the system, and it is going to lift pork prices substantially higher. I guess it begs the long-term question as we look at it here. I mean, will our industry ramp up dramatically as it has in the past to fill the demand? And will then all of a sudden out there some year down the road will we have this void in demand if the Chinese are back up producing their own pork again? Yeah, those are tough questions, Max. Uh, certainly down the road, and I'm talking five, ten years down the road, China will probably be a much more efficient producer of pork. This is going to force the small backyard, what they call the courtyard pork producer, completely out of business. And this will force them to increase their size of their farm and increase the technology, the biosecurity, the efficiency. Uh, ten years from now, China will be a much more efficient, biosecure pork producer than they are now. But, of course, uh, world population continues to grow. Uh, uh, protein, pork protein is such a high-quality value that the U.S. produces. You, you know, plus, at this moment, there could be restraints on a, a rapid expansion. We've been expanding for several years now, but there is the threat that this disease will end up in the United States, and no lender wants to be aggressively lending money with that possibility. Really? So the availability of money for the pork sector to expand may be a limiting factor in our ability to step up and fill the new demand. We started to pick that up in the recent hog and pig report in which the summer farrowing intentions were at just 100%. In other words, kind of slowing down the expansion plans. And we were hearing that that was due to a, a, a lot of uh, limited credit uh, uh, availability. Are there any bearish factors out there for this hog market over the rest of this year? Is there anything looming out there that the producer needs to be aware of? 
Well, we certainly have to see tariffs removed. We still have uh, Mexican tariffs to contend with. We need that Mexican market. They continue to buy our pork, by the way, and pay the tariff. But we need these tariffs to be removed. We need trade to be opened up. We certainly need to, to not see the border, the southern border, sealed off and shut down. Uh, that would create all sorts of problems, especially with the pork trade, pork going into Mexico. Mexico is a huge buyer of hams, and in fact, they are our largest export customer right now. For hams? For pork in general. Oh, okay. Typically, it wavers between Japan and Mexico. Recently, Mexico has been the largest buyer of U.S. pork. So we need that export uh, market to be opened even more than it is right now, you're saying. Exactly right. What's your price expectations? Uh, does it all hinge on that, for example, for the rest of this year? You hate to say that it does, but it does. This is the, the big story of the year. I think this will be the big story of the next couple of years, uh, African swine fever. And does it continue to spread? Will it be continued? exactly what's the damage being done not only in china but vietnam's got 30 million pigs and like china pork is the staple so vietnam is going to be coming into the uh, uh, export market they will be importing pork they will have to but because of what this disease is doing to their hog herd that is the big story moving forward and i have no uh, upside targets in mind right now does the tide lift all boats does the beef market benefit from this well i think so max and i'm kind of alone on that there's a the, you might say most in the beef industry right right now are quite negative and certainly the packers seem to be kind of pulling a fast one right now just ahead of real good strong seasonal demand here in the u.s the packers are enabling themselves to buy cattle at lower prices sort of convincing everybody that this cattle market's in trouble yet we've got wholesale beef prices holding steady and in fact firming up we've got wholesale beef prices three percent larger than a year ago despite larger production so yeah i think that uh, if pork prices go sharply higher beef prices will not go sharply lower and upward pressure on retail prices for pork and beef is expected oh no most definitely you there is going to be some sticker shock especially in pork and we're going from uh well ham values in february were at 10-year lows pork loin values were at 40-year lows and you're going to see that pendulum swing clear to the other direction and there will be sticker shock yes one would imagine this would drive a lot of poultry demand for chicken and turkey. Is that likely to happen? Well, I think it is, especially here in the United States, much more so perhaps than in China. Yeah, you will see some shifting of preferences there uh, as this, uh, as this uh, supply rationing takes place, if it does take place, as I expect. Well, the substitution enthusiasm continue to grow. We saw the story the other day from Nestle that they're going to be driving their protein burger aggressively in Europe. I think they'll be doing a test also in St. Louis. Burger King is is doing more in this area. <laughs> I hearkened it back to 40 years ago when I was in college. They were talking about the first soybean burgers that tasted like cardboard. I guess if you throw enough condiments on them, they're going to be okay. They're going to be presentable. But seriously, you know, you have food companies now targeting that segment of the consuming public. And will this help drive that? I think it could, uh, depending upon exactly how pri high prices go. That is going to be a segment that I think is probably going to be around and possibly even be necessary in the future as we uh, meet the challenge of feeding uh, an increasing world population. Occasionally we get too much supply and we get too low of a price, but I think overall, over the longer term, 
that type of product will have its its place uh, at the grocery shelf. Lab-generated meat is a subject for another occasion. Dennis, we've covered the waterfront here pretty aggressively in the past few minutes. Thank you for helping clarify what's going on or what isn't happening in China at the moment. We appreciate it. Good to see you. Thank you. You're welcome. Dennis Smith with Archer Financial Services. That was a group, wasn't it? The Young Rascals. The Young... I love the Young Rascals. (laughs) (laughs) I knew I could trigger you with that. You got it, buddy. Bring on the warmth. Doggone it. It felt pretty good the other day. Yeah, it uh, did. When we had warmer temperatures. Yeah, it's a tad nippy out there right now. I mean, when spring springs, man, people are going to go crazy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 72 <laughs> on Monday. Yourself. Thank hey, you, sir. Good, good talking to you, you sir. Too, we'll buddy. catch you another day. Yeah. Roger Baddish in the WGN Newsroom. All right. So let's see what's on Big O's mind this weekend. As Mr. Samuelson weighs in, but Samuelson says... Welcome to Samuelson Says. Orion here with another question for Congress. What about fixing our infrastructure? Did you know one of the most common sources of unintended medication use is the family medicine cabinet? Protect your family by following these simple steps. Secure, monitor, and dispose. Secure all medications up and out of sight so they are not easily accessible. Monitor all the medications in your home. Know what you have and how much you have. Only take medications prescribed to you. Dispose of all old, unused, or expired medications in a medication disposal box in your community. For more information, visit communityallianceforprevention.org. This is the continuation of my concern expressed on Samuelson Says last week that Congress, on both sides of the aisle, is spending more time investigating than legislating, and that results in badly needed legislation not happening. I mentioned several items that are on hold, and I have a new one to add to the list this week. During the most recent campaign, I did hear a few candidates briefly mention infrastructure repair on the list of things that need immediate attention. The inland waterway system, airports, roads and bridges are deteriorating and need updating and repair to enable people and products to more efficiently move in this country and around the globe. I'm hearing some talk about getting that done, but not seeing very much action on Capitol Hill. Bridges in rural America are one of the areas of major concern, and a few days ago, the American Road and Transportation Builders Association released the analysis of the U.S. Department of Transportation's 2018 National Bridge Inventory Database. And to me, it contains some scary numbers. The analysis revealed there are 47,052 bridges in the country that are classified as structurally deficient with any of the main components, deck, superstructure, and or substructure rated at 4 or below on a scale of 1 to 10. While the majority are found on rural roads, many of us remember the collapse of the Mississippi River Bridge in the Twin Cities of Minnesota just a few years ago. And here are some state percentage numbers of structurally deficient bridges. Iowa, 19.4%. South Dakota, 16.7%. North Dakota, 10.8%. Michigan, 10.7%. And I've heard from many farmers around the country who say it takes them 20 minutes longer to get to town 
because of a closed bridge on their country road. So, members of the House and Senate, I will repeat what I said a week ago. Start doing what we sent you to Washington, D.C. to do. Discuss and pass legislation to benefit the majority of the people in this country. Oh, and stop acting like kids. My thoughts on Samuelson Says. All right, Big O, thank you, thank you. Yeah, that report was interesting the other day on the bridges. I think it was put out by the Soy Transportation Coalition. They did a release on that and pointed out that uh, in some of the major soybean-producing states, such as those Big O listed, uh, the bridges are definitely in need of repair. The, the coalition, I think, is working with county governments in some instances to uh, to get a better reading on those that need to be replaced the most. They're looking at the deck and the sub-deck and, and really evaluating these bridges that are most in need of replacement. Coming up, our friend uh, Chad Colby joins us. We'll talk a little bit with Chad about what isn't happening in the fields right now and what's uh, going on in the shops on farms after these messages. 16 minutes before 6 of the Saturday morning show on WGN Radio. Max Armstrong with you this morning. I visited last night with my friend Chad Colby, our ag tech expert and he stays in touch with a lot of farmers out across the countryside i asked him about this delayed planting season that according to the forecasters will uh, will continue to be delayed uh, most guys throughout the really the heart of the midwest is really held their patience back and not a lot of field activity that's for sure and we have to remember there wasn't much done last fall yeah that's an issue i know a lot of uh providers, uh, vendors, if you would, to agriculture, folks that supply fertilizer and all those products because they didn't get it on in the fall, I think there's going to be a real, pinch, a real pinch in the supply line to uh, get everybody up and running and get these, these crops planted this year, especially with the challenges with the flooded area in Nebraska that's uh, really going to hinder some transportation issues. As we were talking with Steve Bridge, when they'll be able to go, they will really be going, won't they? You know, Max, you and I know this, too. Most of the crops throughout the heart of the Midwest can be planted in about a week if the conditions are favorable. But like you mentioned, there's a lot of preseason prep that has to be done. But you know what? This isn't uncommon. Uh, it's just a lot of guys get a little anxious. Maybe not so much in the northern Iowa, Minnesota, the Dakotas, Wisconsin, Minnesota. But certainly when you get to southern Illinois and Kansas and Missouri and the southern parts of Iowa southern indiana and some of those places a little farther south they start getting a little bit nervous as that calendar starts to click off into mid-april over the past several weeks many of those growers have been working have been working in their shops and you can see this played out of the social media i think many people wonder what grain producers for example do not have livestock what they do in the wintertime many go to school they go to class they go to various seminars they try to improve their marketing they look for marketing opportunities and many of them are trying to find ways to improve their equipment uh, aren't they? Talk about that a bit. You know, this time uh, when guys are waiting to go to the field, just gives them more opportunities to make sure their equipment's ready. The biggest thing, you and I talk about it all the time, it's not a secret. Really, the two most important passes a farmer makes across his field, and he might make as many as a half a dozen in the heart of the Midwest, is really that planter pass when you put that crop in the ground. There's a lot of extra attention given to the planter. And I can tell you, when it gets wet for three weeks, guys just start looking at it a lot closer maybe adding some new attachments, whether that be for fertilizer or a lot of different things. And that's really a good thing because, obviously, as the calendar clicks off, you know that pressure's on to make sure you don't have any breakdowns and make sure that your planning goes as you plan. You uh, had your friend Matt Foes 
uh, out in uh, Bureau County talking uh, on our broadcast about some of the things he did. I mean, these were crafted in his shop. But I, I've seen this played out on the social media. Guys make their own adjustments in some way or add their own attachments or they'll buy something to add, but they're always trying to improve the performance of the planter, the job that it, it does, even though the companies turn out equipment that works pretty well in its own right. Yeah, Max, you're 100% right. And I know from my friend Matt, I mean, he moved his fertilizer placement. Instead of putting the fertilizer on top of the ground like he's had good success, he's now going to put it in furrow, and he's added a new attachment. Well, when he had that new attachment, he, did, he had to make some other changes to his planter. And these are things that he's been thinking about in his mind for really, Max, a couple of years. And obviously with the cold winter and a little bit later of spring, he had plenty of time to, to bring those new things to his farm. And I, that's the neatest thing to me about, you know, agriculture throughout the Midwest is, you know, what works for Matt Foes in Bureau County, which is north of Interstate 80, right there in the heart of the central part of Illinois, may not work in southern Illinois. And they've got a different set of attachments and different way they do things down there. And that really plays out throughout the Midwest. And, and Max, you and I get on farms all the time. We see that a lot of different things that growers do to maximize their efficiency and do the best they can to raise more yield. Our ag technology expert friend, Chad Colby there. Uh, we mentioned Steve Bridges we were talking. He's a farm broadcaster friend down in central Illinois, down at Springfield. I'll share a couple of comments from Steve coming up here yet on the Saturday morning show at WGN Radio. Mr. Mike Steven comes along in a few minutes here. I get to talk to Mike as he prepares to take us outside the loop. Well outside the loop, down Interstate 55, down to the Springfield area. My friend Steve Bridge is a farm broadcaster there, WFMB Radio. Had Steve in the television studio with me this week, and I asked him about flooding. We're seeing all of the images of flooding, of course, from places like Iowa, Missouri, Nebraska. Uh, it has been flooding elsewhere. It may be flooding more. I asked him about central Illinois, where sometimes we can see a lot of flooding. When we hear a lot about flooding, though, and the problems that have impacted agriculture in some places, it's really not the case, I don't think, where we are south uh, of Chicago in that central part of the state because the rainfall amounts have been just right. Some creeks are out of their banks, so rivers are up here and there. Uh, but we're at just about the right amount of water. If there's a four- or five-day stretch that's sunny and dry, things are going to break loose, as they say. There's going to be a lot of work that gets done. Uh, and hydrus has got to get on. There has to be a lot of fall field work that wasn't done that has to be done now in the spring. And then it'll be plant and go, 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 go. So everything is getting backed up here a little bit. So I would imagine the producers are getting antsy. And when they have the opportunity... There will be a lot of tractors on the road. There will be a lot of people all over the place. I think it might be helpful for a lot of the farmers, too, in that in my area to remember about how last year broke. There was a little bit of planting done very early April, and then we got cold and we got wet. And we had a miserable April, and then it was the warmest May on record uh, for the state of Illinois and for everybody in my area, and it worked out perfect. So certainly uh, folks are a little nervous. They would much rather like to be working now because probably there's a little bit more work to be done this spring than there was last. But boy, there's still a lot of time left on that calendar. I remember you sharing with me stories of some big soybean yields in Sangamon County where Springfield is, back to the west in Morgan County around Jacksonville, that area. And the lesson learned was early planting of soybeans. Was it not that that's what helped encourage, in many instances, 
big soybean yields. That's what agronomists are telling me. That's what farmers are doing. They're pushing that soybean planting date earlier and earlier. And that's the talk this year. And hydrus will go on, and then there won't be any worry about how quickly I can get back out there to plant corn to avoid any sort of uh, burn from that product. It's going to be we're going to put the anhydrous on when, when it's fit, then we're going to go plant our soybeans, then we're going to come back and, and plant our corn. But sure, early April beans are now a very normal thing in my part of the state if the weather and the soil conditions uh, all work out and make sure that it is fit. But 100 bushel yields, a little bit better than 100 bushel yields in area fields for soybeans. And Max, those numbers were from farmers that are usually grumpy and think everything is going the wrong way on them. And they were still calling in 100 bushel soybean yields. So you know it was good. Over 100 bushels in some instances. In some instances, uh, a little bit here and there. But uh, those numbers were, were were widespread in the area. And if you were in, say, I would say, you know, kind of everybody is a little bit different, but if you were in the 60s or maybe very low 70s, you were probably a little disappointed with that number on a bushel per acre average out of a good soybean field. Those numbers should have been upper 70s and into well into the 80s. Now, I have heard in recent days as we're anticipating the planting of the 2019 crop, there's still some 2018 crop standing out in a few places. Is that right? And if so, what's with that? That is a good question. What's for that? I remember asking a farmer friend who I knew who was helping his father-in-law with that, and I asked exactly that question. Max, I said, so what is with that? And he just was uh, he was uh, unsure what to say about what his father-in-law didn't get done on time and why it didn't get done. Field conditions have been tough. Um, it did freeze up, though. It did freeze up, and then there were opportunities to come in and harvest when things were totally frozen, and the snow cover wasn't going to be that difficult to work through, and maybe then farmers just decided that it wasn't going to be worth it to drag machinery out when it was 5 or 10 degrees and still get on, on frozen ground to, to get that crop in. Field here and there, I haven't been by lately. The fields that I did see un, unharvested still late this winter, early this spring, lately to see if there are any of those still in my area. I suspect there might be one or two out there. I do know of some in northern Illinois with some friends around the area that are talking about still harvest yet to be done. Uh, and that is corn and soybeans, both. Uh, you know, uh, Amazingly enough, we do see corn that is left sometimes standing, but we've seen a lot of soybeans this year just left in the field. One thing that comes to mind that farmers will be crowding the roads when they can get mm-hmm. into the fields. I worry a little bit about this distracted driving thing. It just seems to be getting worse, and especially with the, the unfortunate instant instances and the terrible tragedies involving state police officers in Illinois. The only state police have had 15 vehicles hit by motorists just this year. Uh, in those accidents, we've had two state troopers killed. A third was killed in a wrong-way driver situation up here in the Chicagoland area. Just awful. Uh, but, boy, I, I talked to state police, friends with quite a few troopers down in my area, and, you know, they tell stories of jumping out of the way and looking up and people having no idea that they're pulled over to the side of the road. So it's it's a huge problem on the, on the interstates. Uh, but once we get off those big interstates, we've got to be aware of what's going on. You cannot look at that phone driving down a rural highway at 55 or 60 miles an hour, or maybe a little bit better, look at something, and then look up because you're going to close on that planter, on that on that plow, on that farm implement so quickly. You're putting your life at risk. You're putting the livelihood of a farmer at risk. You're putting his life at risk. Uh, you, you, it's... It is a huge problem, Max. I mean, it's it's just it's endemic right now in in the way that people drive and get distracted behind the wheel, and it's costing people their lives. Steve Bridge, farm broadcaster, WFMB, Springfield, Illinois, as we had the chance to visit this week. Yeah, you know, I, I know how slow farm equipment moves, 
And yet, sometimes I'm surprised when I'm going down a two-lane road, if I come up over a hill or go around a curve, how quickly that gap can close. When you're even traveling at the limit, you come up on that equipment so quickly. So be mindful of that, because the roads will be loaded with farm equipment as you get out into rural areas uh, once the weather breaks and drier conditions come along, whatever that is. In the grain market yesterday, wheat wound up the week at 4.67 and three quarters cents a bushel, down three cents for the day. Corn was at 3.62 and a half. That was down two and three quarters cents for the day. Soybeans wound up under the $9 mark in the May contract, 8.99 a bushel, down seven and a half cents. Traders continue to trade on the basis of news or a lack of news regarding the trade negotiations. President Trump indicating uh, most recently that the sides are very close with the deal possible in the next four weeks. But the trade negotiator, Mr. Lighthizer, Ambassador Lighthizer, indicating there are some major issues yet to be resolved. Speaking of issues to be resolved, every now and then, Mr. Mike Stephen takes up some of those. And uh, it's great to be able to greet you this morning. Sir, how have you been? Is Mr. Mike on duty there? I'm not hearing Mr. Stephen. Testing one, two, three, four, five. Trying to get reset there so I can hear him. I'm sure he's around, that's for sure. Please stand by. Do not adjust your set. <laughs> Miss, I'm, I, there he is. It's there funny because I was talking to you. You just oh, couldn't hear me. I, I apologize. No, for it's not being not, able it's to hear good. you. That's my fault. It, it should. Let's just say it's my fault. That sure makes me feel bad. <laughs> Humor the old guy. Tell him it's... Uh, oh, it's how you doing, man? <laughs> good. Great. How, how's uh, everybody in your house? Well, those, I'll tell you... little knuckleheads. Uh, I'll tell you what. So, Mikey, uh, he's four now, and uh, Joey is one. And uh, last week, and I talked about this on the air, we all had the flu because, you know, it's uh, it's that time. Oh, I did hear you talking about that. I did. Yeah. And, I, and I remember back in those days. Oh, it was. Um, and, you know, the one thing is, if someone gets it, if, if mm. one of your kids gets it, I mean, then it's just a matter of time. You oh, know, yeah. you just yeah. got to sort of accept that you're going to get sick. And when you hear that a kid in your kid's class has gotten it, oh. or your preschool or something, you think, oh, no, here it comes. <laughs> when you get the notification that there has been a case of conjunctivitis <laughs> in your child's classroom, oh, you're thinking to yourself, well, great, this is going to be a lot of fun uh, when it hits home. Share and share alike. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Max, it is always a pleasure talking to you, sir. I want you to have a great day, okay? Thank you, sir. You too, Mike. Orion Samuelson keeps you connected to the world of business and agriculture on WGN. Hear his reports weekday mornings on the Steve Cochran Show and during the noon hour on the Wintrust Business Lunch. Plus, catch Orion and Max on Saturday mornings at 5 a.m. only on Chicago's WGN Radio 720.